Nobody wants to end up in family court, but if you do, you want an honest, experienced family law attorney by your side to help minimize the stress, mental anguish, and legal costs that divorce and custody matters bring. Welcome to In Your Best Interest. Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur Justin Sizemore of the Sizemore Law Firm, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, freelance writer Mary Maloney, and guests share insight on what to expect and how to handle family law matters, the changing landscape of family law, and living the entrepreneur's life. Now, on to the show. Sharing custody following divorce can be challenging, whether you get along with your ex or not. As children get older, they often get bolder. Many believe they should have a say in where they live and what they can and cannot do. In today's episode of In Your Best Interest, the panel will discuss what rights teenagers have and what parents can do if they disagree with their child or the other parent about the child's goals and concerns. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Your Best Interest. I'm Mary Maloney, and today, attorney Justin Sizemore, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, and I will discuss some of the issues and challenges parents face when co-parenting teenagers. We all know there's a lot of those. So Justin, let's start out with talking a little bit about where the teen resides. So parents and teens are often curious about what rights teens have when it comes to making decisions about which parent they live with. So how does that work in Texas and do teens have a say and when do they? So the standard of proof that you're dealing with in a preference case, which at the age of 12, the court has, or the, the legislature has stated the child or children have the ability to express a preference in chambers. That preference really exists in two different areas. One is possession and access, and two is the parent with the right to establish the residence. So the possession and access is really a situation where it's more suggestive and the because obviously the court determines best interest. But when it comes to the specific parent with the right to establish the residence, That is a mandatory provision that the courts are required to interview a child or children at the age of 12. Before the age of 12, it's a May statute, okay? And so the importance there is not just the preference because it's preference preference and best interest. And what I see happen a lot of times is a client comes in and says, well, my my child wants to reside with me. They may think that, they may not have confirmed that. And the challenge is how do you actually talk to a child or when should you talk to a child about the preference? And what we see oftentimes is a child goes to stay with dad or mom for the summer and or wants to relocate to another state to go live where mom's new husband or dad's new wife is residing. And so you have a child that comes in and maybe they've lived with one parent for several years and they just are a product of fairness um, and they want to switch. And so it's very challenging, obviously, if you've been in the primary care of a child for a period of time uh, to just say, and that, it's, a, it's a complicated conversation that we get into Uh, with clients, specifically when kids get older, the courts tend to give more weight. It seems that when a 14 or 15 year old who's doing well in school and is pretty responsible uh, wants to go reside with the other parent, but the other parent has been the primary caretaker and that child's got good grades and doing well and has friends. So you you run into the scenario of, should I let my child uh, just go? And so the preference, I always say, well, let's look at what the total surroundings are because we need to have a hearing on best interest first but some courts actually like to do the interview before, before, the, pre, before the preference is actually stated, or, or I'm sorry, let me backtrack. They actually like to do the interview before the hearing on the best interest is done. 
And the challenge there is you just get a child coming in saying, yeah, I want to live with dad or yeah, I want to live with mom. Well, that's not necessarily all the factors that the courts need to consider. And so I really try with my clients to encourage pushing the hearing before the preference so that you can get out all the factors because courts are supposed to ask the kids, well, you know, what, do you want to live with mom or dad? Yes. And, and that seems to be the end of it. But when you're determining best interest and, which is what the statute re- requires, you really need to let the courts know why the court has, or why the child has succeeded in one parent's care um, and what the changes may uh, entail. Because, you know, you get the Disneyland dad or Disneyland mom scenario where dad moves off to Florida or mom moves off to a sunny place and it sounds real great, but there's not a clear plan. And so I like to get into court and ask those key questions. Well, what, what, where's the child going to go to school? Have you even looked at the schools? What's going to happen with the, all the extracurricular activities? How do the, how do the educational uh, requirements transfer over to the other school? And a lot of times people just assume, well, my child's 12 and he wants to live with me or she wants to live with me. So let's just do it. And that's not, that's not where the analysis stops. All right. So Justin, you're a firm believer in the parents driving the bus in regard to decision-making. Can you elaborate on that? We had touched in the past on the affluenza case a little bit. That's kind of an extreme example, but if you can talk a little bit about why it's important for the parents to drive the bus in those decision-making situations. Yeah, I, I think we've seen a lot of cases in the media now, specifically as of recent, and where when when the child is in control or you start to put a child in a position where they're making adult decisions, one of them being where they're going to live, um, and you start to empower children, you know, the natural inclination for children is to do what's easiest for them. And what you see is parents not wanting conflict and certainly not wanting conflict with the child or children. The other thing you see is mainly when you start to empower children, you know, the natural inclination for children is to do what's easiest for them. And what you see is parents not wanting conflict and certainly not wanting conflict with the child or children. The other thing you see is mainly one party believes if they discipline the child, the child's not going to want to reside primarily with them. So they start to empower the child by, by creating scenarios where they don't discipline. And that, that is just an absolute recipe for disaster. Kids absolutely need structure. They need a scenario where parents can get on the same page. And even if they can't get on the same page, I tell my clients, look, you don't want a teenager in your household that you have no control over or that that teenager has shifted uh, the hierarchical structure of the parent-child relationship. And so even if, even if you might think on a temporary basis that you might frustrate a child or upset a child because you're providing discipline and structure, and you might, but the reality is we are, we are charged as parents to give them that sense of discipline, that sense of security, and it travels a long way all throughout life, as we all know. So there, there's just a massive importance that we place on parents, not over-disciplining children. I, I really try to especially in custody cases, get rid of all the corporal punishment stuff. That just, that creates a scenario where the other side can weaponize that. Even if y'all mildly spanked a child in the past or whatever, it's much easier to create scenarios with counselors and other people to create a disciplinary structure and try to make that consistent across the board. I'm a big proponent of asking the other party for ideas because usually you won't get a response or you'll get a response that's kind of antagonistic uh, in, in, in the way that they come back to you. And, and it's just good to have that information for the court that shows you're trying to cooperate, shows you're trying to establish stability, consistency. And if you don't do that um, and you think that you're going to win, you might have a short-term gain by having the child prefer to live with you, but the long-term effects are just absolutely awful. I very seldom see clients that they're, they're positioned and postured to win a custody case and they, they let the child run the roost. 
that they're ever happy, both the parents and the children. So it's just massively important to, to really establish that structure. And, and I can jump in here because I mean, we have teenagers. And yes, I totally agree with what Justin says. Kids will go the path of least resistance. And of course, they will say, oh, at mom's house or at dad's house, I don't have chores and I don't, I'm not held accountable for bad grades or I don't have to go to a tutor, whatever the thing is. But in the long run, they appreciate that. Kids need structure. So we had that fight here too. Like, oh, what, why do I have to do chores at your house? And at the other house, I don't have to do chores. And it's so unfair and end, 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 end. But if you just go your path and do what you think it's right, the kids in the long run will appreciate that. And our kids look back now and say like, oh, mom, I understand why you did X, Y, and Z when they are fighting us the entire time we were doing it. You got to do what's right for the kid and not, not to whatever, win the kids, win the kids over to stay with you. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, Mary, and I, just by way of example, we mediated a case two weeks ago on a repeat client and, you know, the, they were work, the parties were working really well. And obviously they both go and get new significant others. And we've talked in a podcast before about the complications of the others uh, that come in. But in that specific case, the mom started undermining dad's authority completely, um, started implanting in the kids that they need to go to other schools, uh, that their school is, is not good. And without even discussing that with dad, when the court order required the agreement of the parties. And so what she thought she was doing was something that was for the benefit of the children, but really it was more for her own. And she utilized things like cell phones. She bought the kids private go phones to just call me if your dad is scaring you or any of this stuff. And it just creates so much anxiety for kids. And what we saw in that case was, you know, there's four kids, right? So she thought that by kind of pecking off one or two that she could get the whole to, to, all, all agree on that decision-making and, and they didn't. And, and so what ended up happening is the kids started to undermine the authority of both the mother and the father. They both spent thousands of dollars again on a modification and we got right back to the same place. <laughs> we started to make some concessions on school because I, I'm a big believer of just getting rid of the key conflict points. And if, if any parent thinks that, oh my gosh, if my child goes to this school or doesn't do this, they're going to they're gonna not make it in the world. That's just absolutely wrong. And I, I do understand that there's better schools than others and whatnot, but the reality is the best thing you can do for your kids is be on the same page. And even if you don't like your significant other, even if you don't like their choices of who they're dating or whatever the case may be, you must show your kids alignment. And it's just like a company. If your CEO and your CFO are at war and the whole company knows about it, all of the Indians will start running around because they don't have any chiefs. And that's exactly what kids do. So just as a follow-up on the discipline thing, um, Justin, some parents have concerns about how their ex disciplines or doesn't discipline their, their teenagers or kids in general. But at what point is it okay or is it recommended that you actually get an attorney involved with that to manage the discipline situation? I, I don't like I don't like the idea of parties believing that the black robe and the lawyers should dictate and navigate people's lives. I mean, when when clients come to me and they just don't have, they just want someone else who they've never met to run the roost. Judges will tell you, uh, and they do a very good job of this in court, just saying things like, "Look, I don't even know your kids. I don't know you. Uh, if you want me to put together a schedule that neither one of you are going to like and disciplinary tactics that you guys may not even agree with, I'll do it." But that's not really the court's position. They're trying to they're trying to mitigate 
and minimize the conflict. And I see parties thinking that they can weaponize because of their attorney and the courts and the, the money side of it. They, they weaponize a custody case. And it's just a telltale sign that, that we're going to have some other experts that need to be in place. We're going to need psychologists. We're going to need counselors. And when you have to get all these other people in place, you should start asking yourself, why do we need all this stuff? What are we doing here? Why can't we just have a cup of coffee and have a conversation? And, and I know that sounds very simple from my lens, but you'd be surprised how many times when we can continue to extend the olive branch, you know, and the other side, even if they don't reciprocate, it's so easy to win a custody case when you do that. When you just do the do right rule, you act like Jesus, you, you, you really try to put yourself last. It's just massively important for the kid's sake, for number one. And number two, if you just want to win the case, it's the best way to do it. Just just be clean, be nice, be normal. And when you see one party really trying to impose their will on the other one, they usually don't, don't fare well. The kids don't take it well either. And we had issues too, where, as we all know, don't get along, didn't get along well with my ex, but still when we had disciplinary actions or disciplinary issues, I reached out or he reached out to me and then we both discussed it. We not necessarily ended on the same page, but at least we both knew what the other one was dealing with. And then when the kids comes to the other house and makes up a story and says, this happened or that happened, then you have more information and you can give him a different perspective that maybe dad was right when he did this. So I don't have to agree, but at least I know what's going on. And I think that's very, very important, especially when they start getting older and and it's it's super super important to to talk to each other. You know, another question that that clients have been asking or prospective clients have been asking is what say teens should have and the activities that they're actually involved in, especially when their parents disagree. So, how are those types of disputes handled in the family courts, Justin? I, again, I am a firm believer of absolutely getting rid of as many provisions in an order as you can and simplifying it as best as possible. And what I mean by that is if you are having to micromanage the kids' activities, it is usually because one party is weaponizing an activity for your children against the other. Well, I want my kid to play football. Well, no, he, it, he wants to play basketball. It, it, it's just ridiculous. And at the end of the day, if you ha- if you cannot agree on extracurricular activities and you think the court's going to put together this laundry list and spend their time on figuring out whether your kid takes ballet or basketball, you're just flat wrong. Usually what the courts do in that situation is they will allow one party to exercise one activity or enroll the child in one activity and the other party to ex- or enroll the child in another activity. And, and what you see there is, again, a source of conflict because you put a black robe in charge of what these activities are. And you know that the parents then are going to pick the activity that the other one doesn't want. And so what happens is it creates conflict. The parents don't all attend the other activities because they're not supportive. The kids see it. They feel it. Um, or you have the other party showing up with their significant other to the activities to kind of make it a pain because we have to go to this. Uh, you have logistical issues with how they're going to get there. And what we see a lot in society now is these kids are so inundated with activities that involve them traveling all over and being, you know, involved in multiple select leagues and all this. I don't want to call it craziness because there's a lot of benefit to it for some kids, but it's really hard when you have a divided household and you get minimal time or less time with your kids to go to every single event. And so you really need to be cognizant of do unto others, do unto the other parent as you want done unto you. If you enroll the child in extracurricular baseball and select baseball and you're gone most of the spring and invades on the other parents 
uh, ability to have a good possession schedule during their time and do what they want to do. What you see is the other parent then weaponizes that activity. And so we really try to we really try to say, look, you know, if your child has been doing select league all throughout, you know, the course of y'all's marriage, let's continue it. But let's not start crazy schedules and new activities just because you have this idea that you want your child to be some professional athlete. And 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 let's think about what the logistics look like for the other parent because they can do it back to you. And so we don't really see the courts wanting to get too involved in extracurricular activities, but but when you start to weaponize it and you start to to invade on the other parent's ability to have quality time with their child, believe me, the courts will make a decision. And I, I very seldomly see the parents like the decision that's made. And what's in the best interest of the kid too, right? I mean, this the ridiculous. If you if the kid wants to play football or basketball, let them play, play football or basketball. We always arrange that if you want to have the kid play a certain sport, then you have to take him. You have to make sure that they can get there. Because I might not be able to take him there on a Wednesday. So if you want the kid, even if it's not possession, my possession, then you take him on a Wednesday. And on a weekend, we'll go to the games. And if we have plans on a weekend and we have travel plans, guess what? The kid's not going to be there. And if you have that conversation, then all of a sudden it doesn't become that important anymore when they have to take him every day to practice. And it's entirely on the person that enrolled him in that sport. We always figured it out. Just Mary, just like the situation with the school, my biggest pet peeve is when a party goes to their child before they go to the other parent and and says, hey, I really, I want you to be in this select activity. This would be great. Wouldn't you like this? Uh, wouldn't you like to go to the school because they have a better football program? That's ridiculous, right? That's changing the hierarchical structure of the parent-child relationship. And that's exactly what I, I usually actually, when a client comes to me and says, well, they won't let them play football. Well, did you talk to him? And did you talk to the child first? And if they say yes, and they, they've, they've used the child and put the child in the middle of that before they've talked to the other parent, it's usually not a good client. So just be very careful. Even if you have high conflict with your X, do not put the child in the position to where the other parent feels like they're inferior because they didn't have any conversation on the decision-making. I mean, that's, that's just, that's one-on-one common sense. So talk to the other parent first, figure out what the issues are, figure out what the logistics are. And just like Andrea said, it, I love that statement. Hey, you know, I can't take them on Wednesdays. What are your thoughts on taking them on Wednesday? Even if it's my time, I, I want to be supportive of, of the activities that you want the child in. It's really hard to argue with that. And if they do, we'll smoke them. And the football thing is, I think, one of the big things that for us mamas is always the fear the kid wants to play football. In my case, to having twins, they always wanted to play football. And I was so worried about them playing football and getting hurt. But what I kind of forgot at the very beginning is their dad played football. It's like the boys wanting to do what daddy did. So let them do it. And again, if you want, and then, and I worked in, in professional basketball, I wanted the kids to play basketball. So they tried both. And at the end, guess what? The school is going to decide what they're actually good in. If your child is five, two, and you want to play basketball, chances are not that great that he might play varsity in, in high school. Let them figure out what they're actually good in. Just because you were good in a sport or don't don't like a sport doesn't make the kid great in that sport. If you did ballet, that doesn't mean your kid should do ballet. I mean, all those things, stop imposing your own wishes or what you didn't live out when you were younger on your child and then force them into that. That is so ridiculous. And again, you might not see that now when the kid is five or six, but guess what? In high school, the coach is going to make the decision who's on the field, not you because you want your child in that sport. Let the kids figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this massive thing in society where we have to coddle everybody now. And kids need parents. They need structure. They need discipline. They need activities. They need to be able to make decisions. And if we start, again, micromanaging everything, you're going to do this and this is how it's going to be. And are you going to be okay, sweetie? You know, if, if we start to create a lot of that that weakness 
And more importantly, that inconsistency where they can just quit and they just leave. And you know, that's why we see so much job shifting now. So all these things that you're doing as parents is training them for the future. And I tell my kids all the time, like you, you're going to, you're going to do soccer this year. Okay. Well, my dad, I don't know. No, if you said you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And exactly. you, you know, finished the whole season and you you're finish. not going to quit after two games because you were put on the bench. If you decide on the sport, then you're going to finish the whole season. And then after the season, we can talk whether you actually have talent and want to continue this. I totally agree. And that goes, that goes right back to the kids running the roost, right? So just if the, if the kids, and that's what happens a lot of times with the extracurricular, well, mom, I, I really want to do this. Okay, great. Let's do that. Well, mom, I don't want to do this. Okay, well, that's great. Let's do that. Let's not do that. I mean, you're just empowering your children to take advantage of, of situations because they don't want any discipline or structure or to have to achieve something and it have to be challenging. And that's just ridiculous. That's raising sheep. And we need to, we need to be more lion raising at this point. Well, that's true. It's really a detriment to the child if you're not preparing them for the future, for the, the tough things ahead of them. Absolutely. So Justin, parents and teenagers will always have disagreements. I remember having disagreements with my mother all the time, but we get along right now. But what other, what other tips do you have for parents who struggle to get on the same page with their kids? I think the hardest thing that that I try to figure out is do we need to start counseling? Do we need, because everybody has this one or two recipe item that they think works. And the, the reality is some kids need counselors and third parties to come in there and mitigate some of the issues. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's just like, all right, well, this is a, this is a menu item. So let's just pick it. The, the main thing that, that I want to see is parties trying to work together and fostering and good lawyers do that they say hey i want to see positive communication if you start off on this negative foot and i see bad communications i, I give them kind of the two strikes and third you're out right and i know that sounds arrogant as a lawyer but i am not in this business to let people bicker and ruin their kids lives because i have a good skill set of going into a courtroom and doing what i do so i think it comes from the parents i think that it absolutely needs to be communicated the non-negotiables um, these are these are the boundaries that we need to have and i want to hear what your what your boundaries are before i tell you mine i just i keep i keep reiterating put the shoe on the other foot give that other parent the right to start talking all right. And don't talk over them. Don't talk at them. Don't accuse them. Don't speculate. Just listen for a second and just say, okay, look, I, I, I know that this baseball thing is important to you, you know, or I know that this rule on this cell phone is important to you, but here's, here's the things that, that I'm dealing with in my house. How do you want to make that consistent across the line? So what would we do in a situation where if our child back talks us in that case that I just talked about, the child basically said, F you dad, I'm not going to church. Right. And the mom gave him a cell phone. And the child called the, 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 the mom and said, hey, dad's told me that he's going to take away my cell phone and he's going to spank me if I don't go to church. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm not saying that spanking is okay. We actually eliminated corporal punishment because dad's never spanked his kids, but maybe one or two times in their life. Sometimes when they get 12 and 13 and they're right in that in-between age, it's like, what do you do? You take their cell phone away. Well, mom just gave them a cell phone. Well, you take their money away. Well, mom gave them a credit card uh, or dad gave them a credit card. I mean, you know, you, you got to get consistent. And, and the only way to do that is communication. And if you can't have it, there are resources for co-parenting classes and sometimes just forcing people into litigation and making them spend a ton of money and seeing how ridiculous it sounds in a courtroom is exactly the cure. And then they get in there and they're like, well, you didn't talk about the soccer game. Like, no, none of this is important. None of this really matters. What this process was designed to do to show is to force you to, to bury yourself for a minute and communicate with the other party. 
And if the other party doesn't reciprocate or they reciprocate in a negative manner, we have injunctions, we have things in place for disparagement, we have activities, we have uh, schedules. You know, we can start to use the iron fist, if you will, but that is a last ditch effort. And if, if any client ever wants to come to my firm and think that we're just going to get all hot and bothered because they are, they're wrong. We don't do that. We, we train people to be better humans so that they create good humans for humanity. And I, that's the only reason I do this job now. I, I grew up in conflict. Andrea's seen it uh, in her life. We know what that does. And it's expensive. It's not fun. It never results in a situation where one party really feels like they've won. I've got a great friend that's a doctor. His wife is very successful. And they've been fighting the custody battle for the last seven or eight years. Right. And, and I, I, I refused to take the case because I knew that the parties had so much venom towards each other that there's really no headway you could make. And those kids are absolutely suffering as a result of it. They are suffering psychologically, emotionally. And it's, it's just, well, honey, you know, if we switch over to dad, you're going to be fine. Uh, you're not going to need to go to the psych ward or have to take medication or God forbid, uh, have suicidal ideations, but that's how extreme it gets guys. And so when you think you're doing the right thing, I've seen the worst and it is bad. And the minute that you think that your, your will is more important than your child's emotional and psychological need and, and the need to feel loved and supported by both parents, you're flat wrong. So I was going to say, Justin, if you have any one last piece of advice for, advice for parents, like any big piece of advice, what would it be? I think what you just said was just a, totally a gem. Is there anything else you would add to that? You know, I, I, like to, I like to believe that the world is capable of, of overcoming the adversity of some humans and that humans can make changes. And there are some humans that are not capable of making changes. Some humans believe that their, their will is right and they won't change it. And so if you have that type of person, I think it's very important that you continue a running timeline of what all is going on and you continue to kind of dialogue. You're not, you're not, you're not advocating evidence and you're not information gathering every minute, but, but you need a running timeline of kind of what's going on because it's painting a picture of a theme. Okay. And so if, if you have that adversarial parent at all costs, I, I, I really I'm just going to be honest. I don't like those cases because it's very hard to fix people. And, and the clients, even, even when you do everything you're in your power and you get the best result possible, they're never content with it. And I think that's so important, Mary, for people to hear. Like I, I make a ton of money off doing this job because people fight and I hate people fighting. I hate when people, I don't like divorce. I don't like high conflict. I don't like kids running amok. And so it, if, if that is you, you need to change your activity structure. You need to change how you're addressing your life, your health, your mental health. Start with you first because you may have some issues. And even if it is the other parents overbearing and you can't figure out ways to navigate and ways to communicate, get yourself right. And that is the only way that we can assure that we can provide the evidence to win the case, number one. And number two, you might find it just works. Um, you know, 90% of the cases settle in mediation, even in high conflict. So think about that. You, people get real tired of paying lawyers. They get real tired of results. They get real tired of the time, real tired of the stress. And they see their kids suffering. And sometimes that's what it takes. So don't be that person. Just start with you and communicate with the other parent. And I think what you're going to find is it will soften the blow. It may not fix it all, but it will soften it. And you have to have the mindset that people can change. You just have to have that mindset. 
So I think that's a great place to wrap up today. So if you'd like to get in touch with the Sizemore Law Firm, you can call 817-336-4444 or visit lawyerdfw.com. We also invite you to follow the podcast and share it with friends who might find it helpful. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest with Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur, Justin Sizemore. The content presented here is provided for information only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or financial advice. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available.